Ladies and gentlemen, the Empire Podcast proudly presents the long-awaited return of the Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra. Oh, hang on. Now, it's been a while, actually, hasn't it? It's been a few weeks. Guys, I've forgotten how it goes. Hmm. Um, hmm. um, 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 we got a bag, we got a bag! Oh yeah! We are back. It's going to take me four hours just to edit that bit alone, but we are back. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, Pod. I am Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the brand new run of Empire Podcast MCU Disney Plus Spoiler Specials. This one is dedicated to Loki. Oh yes, Loki. The long-awaited small-screen debut of the God of Mischief, as played, of course, by Tom Hiddleston. How exciting. The first of six... Nah, the first part of a six-episode run written by Michael Waldron, directed by Kate Heron. And uh, very, very exciting stuff it was, too. And joining me to discuss this over the next ooh, hour or so, I guess, are three of the finest timekeepers of such lethal cunning that I could find on very, very short notice. We have, of course, Helen O'Hara. Hello. Amon Warman. Hello. And Tren Bavis. Ben Travis. Ben Travis. <laughs> Hello, I'm a lizard. You are a lizard. It's incredible. Ah. Absolutely. Yes, he's finally revealed it. Are among us. I lured him into my trap. Did you see how I expertly set him up for that? <laughs> you and then he revealed his lizardiness. Uh, yes, yes, indeed. So I should say that you have us at something of a disadvantage, folks. Usually, our spoiler specials, our weekly spoiler specials, whether they be Mandaloriany or Falcony and Winter Soldiery or WandaVisiony, come at a point where we've all had a chance to see the episode a couple of times after it's aired on Disney Plus, and so we know it inside out, like in the back of our hands. That's not quite the case with all of us at this point, and that's my fault. It's because I'm going away for a short break, and so we have to record this before Loki has hit Disney Plus. We've had screeners but we haven't all had time to watch those screeners multiple times. Isn't that right? It's basically just me and you, Ben. We're the culprits. <laughs> yep. We've been slacking this week, but thankfully other people have been picking up that slack. That's because... what we've been doing, Ben. We've been slacking. <laughs> yes. Slacking is your work experience for the last two days. That's what that <laughs> describes that. You guys have been run off your feet and uh, it happens sometimes. It happens. So this won't be the usual... Well, it might be because Helen's seen it three times. Uh, Amana's seen it twice. So this might be the usual detail filled, detail-oriented to deep dive that we normally do on the weekly spoiler specials. Then again, it might just be me going, do you remember that bit where Loki was talking to Owen Wilson and it was funny? There might just be a little bit like that. I like the bit where Loki was in it. 
Loki was really in this episode. He really was. Oh, he was all over it. You're going to be so glad to know that I have legal thoughts. Oh, Christ. <laughs> what legal thoughts do you have? Well, I, I don't know if we want to lead with that. I think we probably want to ease people into the legal thoughts. You know? Okay, but you should do a recap at this point and then try and sure. go through the episode as chronologically as as possible. But I saw the episode three days ago and um, I can't remember how it goes chronologically. I know that it begins with the end game. Yes. So the end game is the begin game. Do you want me if to try will. and recap like you do? I don't. I haven't prepped. I mean, do you anything. have time for such polished wit and uh, and witty <laughs> repartee? Throw in a couple of fart gags for people to know it's me. <laughs> oh. uh, so we begin in yes the section of the 2012 section of Avengers Endgame, where the Avengers have gone back to the end of the Battle of New York. Loki but when you say 2012 chains- section, of course you mean the 2012 section of the 2019 motion picture Avengers Endgame, directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. Yes, but then they go back into the 2012 <laughs> film Avengers, directed by you know what I mean, um, and who? Who? Who's that? You know what I mean? Anyway, and your microphone's really playing up, Helen. That's so weird. I think the TVA is interfearing. They protected that into the timeline. So, as we all remember from 2019, at that point, uh, the Hulk accidentally knocked into Tony, uh, having come down some stairs and being quite annoyed as a result. Um, mm. The Tesseract went flying. Loki, yes. quick-witted, picked oh. up the Tesseract and vanished. <laughs> no! He awoke to find himself trapped in a... No, he awoke to find himself in um, <laughs> in Mongolia, uh, where he immediately tried to set himself up as a god king, and it didn't work because the TVA, the Time Variance Authority, immediately turned up, arrested him, and brought him back to their sinister, possibly underground, I don't know, um, headquarters. It's hard, to, hard to tell where it is. Exactly. Uh, Rooney Masako, the agent, the hunter B-15, takes him in, uh, hands over the Tesseract to Casey, played by Eugene Cordero, and he's basically hauled in front of Gugu Mbatha Raw, a judge who tells him that he is a variant who has stepped outside his proper place in this sacred timeline and must now answer for his crimes with his existence, essentially. Uh, That is uh, a bit of a problem for Loki, who obviously objects, and luckily for him, so does Agent Mobius. Mobius, played by Owen Wilson, uh, says, you know what? This guy could help us figure out mm-hmm. the variant who is currently causing havoc in the timeline and who has ambushed several of our timekeeper people. No, time cops. No, time agents. Minutemen. Minutemen, I believe it's called. They're minutemen. Yeah. And they're fighting time, the time, time bandits. lords. Time Lords? <laughs> They're Time Lord, Time Cop, Time Agent, Time Bandit, Minutemen. Wearing, wearing time trousers. <laughs> have been uh, basically trying to set right what once went wrong and hoped each time that their next leap would be the leap home. And <laughs> have been set upon by a loose variant. And it, it is Agent Mobius's hope that Loki will enable him to track down this sinister variant. Um, that all seems like a terribly good idea at Mm -hmm. least to Mobius and certainly to Loki because it gets him out of immediate uh, disintegration. Unfortunately for Loki, then has to essentially go through a sort of expedited, extremely concentrated version of therapy where he is forced to reckon with crimes past, present and future. This is where we see him do the D.B. Cooper, a bit of plane hijacking, uh, which it turns out was the result of losing a bet with Thor. 
it also it revolves into a, a really hard wake up call for Loki, who has to deal with Frigga's death, the fact that he causes it, and ultimately, after a quick escape uh, and a run round the TVA, comes back to realize that no, not only did he kill his mum, but he is also going to end up dead himself in the future. So he has no choice but to work with his these TVA guys and help them find this variant. But who could this variant be? Who could it Why? be? It's it none be? other than Sam Beck. No, Loki. It's Loki. It's another <laughs> Loki who is the variant they're all trying to track down. That's and wild. so ends episode one. Sorry, which it's show not is quite, this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and who farts? I heard there was going to be fart jokes. <laughs> you told me there were, yeah, I asked for fart jokes. <laughs> you did God ask. Damn it. You did ask, yeah. Oh, there were no fart jokes. You didn't even. I you, know, you were the wielder. I love lots of stuff that you would usually cover, but so it goes. That's uh, fine. It's fine. It's not a deep dive recap. It's it's totally fine. Uh, so what do we make of this episode? I'm I'm going to jump the gun mm-hmm. uh, and say I thought it was tote terrific. Mm. Mega brills. Thought it was super great. Mm-hmm. I'm on now. You have to make up two bullshit words as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just have one word for you. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. I thought it was scrumdedly umptious. I thought it was scrumtrolescent. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us for our lucky <laughs> episode one deep dive. <laughs> no, it's great, isn't it? This is yeah. this has got, you know, I know we say this, uh, although we, we very quickly didn't stop saying it with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, uh, but this has real potential to be one of the best things Marvel have done since WandaVision, I would say, but certainly one of the best things they've so done. So long ago. In a while. So can you remember? Do you remember? have been starved of something this good for so long. I might like it more than WandaVision so far. Ooh. There I said it. There I said Big it. Words. Here's the thing. You, text, you texted us the other day when you were, because you, you were the first to watch the episodes. No, mm. actually, I'm almost the first to watch the episodes because he did the junket. Um, but <laughs> so did you. He, well, yeah, shut up. Um, <laughs> this is true. This is true. I actually haven't done the junket yet. That is... What? Oh, this is time... This is timey-wimey stuff. Uh, hey! Wow. I don't dictate the schedule. I would, I would have loved to have you know, spoken to everyone at this point, this is amazing. I'm doing, I'm doing it tomorrow. We're Very taking the excited. piss out of Amon for doing a junket that hasn't yet happened. This is so on point for the show. This is great. He has stepped outside his time boundary. All that stuff confused me. We'll talk about it in a second. But okay. uh, yes, uh, good ep. Good ep. Great ep. Yeah, love it. I thought. And it has potential, I would say, Helen thinks it is better than One Division already. I think it has the potential to be better than One Division, although I loved, loved, loved One Division. Is it interesting, though, are you saying that based on the fact that we've seen the first two episodes, uh, they'll be upfront about that, Ben mm-hmm. hasn't, he's only seen episode one, we are not going to reveal anything that happens in episode two, folks. We are not. Largely because I can't remember anything that happens in episode two, but uh, <laughs> these guys will set me straight. And Mostly because Ben will kill you if you do. He will draw, He will just... Disney yeah. will kill me if I reveal right. anything that happens. Oh, Disney and Ben two. after you? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, Disney end yeah. well for me if I, if I reveal <laughs> anything in episode two, that is for sure. But uh, I will say, so are you comparing the fact that, so uh, the, the equivalent point for us with WandaVision was they showed us the first three episodes. Mm. And so the first three episodes were very much in that weird alternate universe. They were all very much inspired by the sitcoms. We, we, we didn't see the outside stuff. We didn't see the real hero of that show, Hayward. We didn't see any of that stuff. Oh so God. what I'm wondering is, are you comparing the first two episodes and specifically the one we're discussing here, the first episode, yeah. to the impact of those first three episodes, which were 
their own little weird microcosm thing. Yeah, probably. And the thing is that the very nature of WandaVision's first three episodes, and indeed first seven or eight probably, is that they were disjointed. And they were properly, they were meant to be disjointed. That was the point. Her, her entire psyche is disjointed. But it means that every time there's a little tiny bit of reset as well as moving the plot forward. Whereas I feel like this is already feeling a bit more like a coherent single story. I can also already see it. I mean, you can, this is, we're obviously spoiling this episode, but in literally in, in <laughs> when he's in the waiting room of the TVA and Miss Minutes comes on the, the, the <laughs> yeah. TV screens, immediately it is clear that this links to both WandaVision and Doctor Strange and the Mountains of Madness. Uh, in the Mountains the multiverse, of Madness? Multiverse Holy shit! Madness. Oh my god! Oh my god, Gamer did it at last! In the Multiverse of Madness. So, and, and I, I, yeah, so, and I don't necessarily think that's all they might link to. Anyway, but they, that is already kind of interesting to me. So I do think that this might be more, at, or at least as important to the timeline as WandaVision was, and that's kind of interesting. But also I'm just, I, I love this kind of world. I love weird bureaucracies messing with people yes. who don't fit into them. Yes. You know, it's like that, if you've ever read The Twelve Tasks of Asterix, and one of the Have things I? is he has to go through that weird bureaucracy at one point. It reminds me of Diana Wynne-Jones' A Tale of Time City, which is one of my all-time favourite kids' books, which Said is incredible. Exactly the same thing. Of course you did. Of course you did. I mean, I just <laughs> yeah. knew that. But uh, I also love that they're not... Uh, well, I'll talk about that more in season two, in episode two. But I Ooh. do think they're they're avoiding some of the usual tropes of time travelly people, yes. which I like as well. Might I also say as well before you guys come in on this that um, one of the things I really loved about about this and episode two, but this does a really good job as well of doing something that I don't think Falcon and the Winter Soldier did at all, and we discussed this. We thought this was one of the show's failings in that it. The story wasn't clear and the stakes weren't clear and it didn't establish the stakes very early on. Here it establishes the stakes for Loki pretty quickly. Mm. Uh, if you don't play along, you'll be disintegrated. That's a big one. But also there is something happening. There's a central mystery of the show. And in that way, it's maybe similar to WandaVision, maybe similar a little bit to Falcon and Winter Soldier, but the resolution, I think, is going to be very, very different. The mystery of the show is who is this other Loki, if indeed there is another Loki, who's running around the timeline, wiping out all the time cops. And that's really interesting. So you've got a mystery, you've got a setup, you've got stakes, things, bad things are going to happen to this Loki if he can't figure out a way out of the situation. So right from, right from the off, it's clear and it's easy. I mean, you said it's going to be different from WandaVision, but that was who's doing this to Wanda? And the answer was Wanda. And this one is What's happening with Loki? Who's who's the person who's killing everyone? It's Loki. And so maybe maybe it will be the same. <laughs> Definitely has the potential to be better than One Division. I just like how upfront it's being with everything so early. And I, I get that with One Division, it was very much by design in terms of keeping the mystery for as long as possible. But I do think in some ways that came back to bite them because in the later episodes, because they were keeping everything mysterious for so long, the later episodes, they had to dump a lot of the exposition there. And that sort of made it a little bit disjointed mm. here. They've got such a good balance of exposition, story, and character work yeah. already. And that means a lot for the story going forward, especially given that whereas WandaVision had nine episodes, this only has six hours to play with. So the fact that it's getting to the point so early 
bodes very, very well for the show. That's a great point. And I just, I love how unique the show is in a sense, because we have seen sort of a, a version of Loki go on this journey uh, across six MCU movies. Um, but we haven't really had this. I feel like this is almost like a live action. What if in a sense, because yep. Loki is you now not going on this similar, but different journey. And in this episode, I think the, the strongest scene is when he gets to see how his life plays out. And obviously in, let's call it Loki in Loki's prime journey, he gets the character growth and he gets the, he gets to change across however many movies here. He's now shown that, but he gets to sort of react and grow from it in a different way. And I don't think we've really seen that in any uh, MCU thing before. And that's, that's just inherently really interesting to me. I think the closest thing to that that I can think of in the MCU is Nebula. Evil Nebula in Endgame, mm. who gets to see good Nebula. That's true. And she gets mm. to see what happens if she had just had the... Not will, that's maybe the wrong word, but if she just had the strength to maybe break away from Thanos' grasp, there's an element of that, I guess. But uh, yeah, I thought it was really, really elegantly handled. And uh, Elegant is the word, yeah. Mm. yeah. And think, Elegant think, and confident, I think, yeah. as well. Like That's what this reminded me of in terms of its comparison with WandaVision. Like, those first couple of episodes of WandaVision, as much as they were keeping a lot of stuff under wraps, it felt very, very confident. They knew exactly what they were doing, exactly what to show you, exactly... The lines were written in a very specific way to tell you or hint at things that you might want to kind of think about for the next however many weeks. Whereas I don't think we ever really had that with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We, we There was lots of stuff we liked about that show, mm. but it never felt like they were in total control over that story and telling it to you in the way they exactly wanted to tell that story. Yeah. Whereas this one, right from the off, you completely feel that. And I think they've... They, they- They've talked about this a little bit. I don't know how much how how willing they're they're gonna be to be completely open, but the creative team behind Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they talked a little bit about how the pandemic affected that show. I think it really affected that show. And maybe one day we'll get the full story of exactly how it affected that show. Whereas this one, I think they were a little bit more fortuitous with the timing. The Falcon and Winter Soldier, as far as I'm aware, was deep into filming when the pandemic hit. Um, it was always meant to be the first one. Then they had to recalibrate it and rejig it and bring one division forward. This one, they had a five month break, and I don't know what their state of readiness was. I think they were maybe two weeks into filming, but when they when they got shut down in Atlanta, they had five months off to think about this this stuff and recalibrate it and make sure that everything was right and dot all the I's and cross mm-hmm. all the T's and. You know, maybe it's 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 helped him go away. The, you know, same way that you know, Chris McQuarrie's talked about Tom Cruise's ankle break on yeah. Fallout, mm-hmm. in a way being a blessing in disguise. And we're not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that the pandemic and you know, subsequent loss of life around the world mm-hmm. is a blessing in disguise. In, in terms of the creative struggle in the show, it may have helped him get this thing so right because everything about it. I mean, it's it's interesting what you say there, Amon, about the um, the Reams of exposition that we're exposed to in WandaVision. And that's obviously, you know, by sheer dint of being a mystery box show that, you know, at some point you have to unload that exposition. Here it's front loaded. Mm-hmm. Very much so, because Loki is awake. He's not sleeping like Wanda is or not yeah. deliberately sleeping or not obfuscating anything. So he has to be led like us by the hand through this bewildering world. And he, and that's really, really lovely. Um, I, I wonder, I'm going to ask you, I wonder, I, I'm going to ask you guys. <laughs> 
if you thought I loved the scenes with him and Mobius, that those long, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I was lucky enough to do a, a press conference this week with the with the cast, including Tom Middleston and Owen Wilson. And those two guys were talking about how much they loved that aspect of things and how it felt to them like like doing a play. These are heavy dialogue, heavy scenes. These are, you know, maybe five, six pages, mm. um, really getting to sink in. And I, I, I was really taken aback by the rhythm of the show and how talky this first episode is. And it is. And oh my God, I'm doing a looky. I love to talk. Um, thankfully, I'm a podcast host and I really like that. But I wonder if some people might feel it's too talky, maybe maybe too expositionally. What, what, do, what do you they, think? I think they might, but, you know, screw it. I, I just, yeah, I mean, a little <laughs> bit, you know, I think this is a really... I de- like Amon said, I think the word elegant, I think that is the word. It is really well done because what it ha- actually has to do is bring Loki up to the level that we know. So what it does is ensure that he's operating on the same page as all of us. It fills him in on all of the things that he was is going to do. It, it lets him know that his schemes were not going to work. And it does force him to at least reconsider himself. It cracks his armor, at least for a minute, you know, yeah. and allows, you know, the, the potential for some kind of growth and some kind of something new. And I think that's really, really good for us watching the show because it means that we are, he's not operating at a disadvantage for us, which can be frustrating for an audience because we're, we're, you know, we're not sitting there going, but you and Thor can work together. We've seen it. We know it can happen. You know, we're mm. spared that. But it also means like he has grown a bit because he's seen all of this horrific stuff. He's had to deal with the same kind of grief that, that Thor experiences during that scene with Rocket. Remember the, that really emotional scene in Endgame, mm. in Infinity War? Infinity War. Um, Infinity War, yeah. And, and yet he hasn't experienced it. He hasn't lived through it. So it's not as powerful as living through it. So it just puts him in this new kind of liminal space between being as as relatively grown up as the 2019 Loki was and being as much of a dick as the 2012 Loki was. And I think that's a really powerful place to put him for this show. And then to pair him with someone with Owen Wilson's kind of laid back surfer dude energy and mm. just the rhythms between them. I just adored them. And he's such a compassionate character as well. He goes out of his way on several occasions to be nice to people he doesn't have to be nice to, to be kind mm. to people. And so that's, I think, a really, really interesting dynamic between the two of them because he does that and yet he still has Loki's number and yet he can still match Loki's wit. And that's something that we haven't quite seen before. I, I totally agree with something that both Chris and, and Helen said separately. So Chris, I completely agree with you that at various points, these long dialogue scenes, it felt kind of like watching a play to me. And it was amazing to see an actor as good as Tom Hiddleston get to really dig into those scenes and get to really kind of play. I mean, he is a, a theatre actor and I really felt kind of him enjoying having the space and the time to really delve into this stuff. And like Helen said, a lot of these, they felt like therapy scenes. It felt like you were sitting in on Loki's therapy. And what this yeah. episode did straight away, as much as it's not sort of mega action-packed, it gives you exactly what you want these shows to be, which is let's create a space where we can take these characters who maybe haven't had as much time as they could have done and really zone in and really do some like mega character work. And we got so much of that with this Loki variant in the space of one hour that is kind of amazing already. Like it, it felt... Like we got to go really, really deep with him. This whole first episode was 
no, who are you? Who is Loki? Why do you do the things you do? Mm-hmm. Are you aware of what's going to happen to you in the future? How is that going to change you? All of that, that is enough meat for an entire series. And I'm sure we're going to get more of that as we go through. Yeah. But the way that they delved into all of those themes and ideas already in this first episode in a way that felt really fleshed out and at the same time wasn't totally bogged down, I think is insanely smart and really, really well done. And at the same time, it's still taking place in this crazy, fun environment where you don't know what's going to happen next and it's all this weirdness and it's very playful and light and at the same time dealing with like the heaviest stuff possible. Mm -hmm. I thought it was an amazing combination of all those things. Why do you hurt people? Do you enjoy it? Where does it come from? These are really (laughs) interesting questions and the answers are are very interesting as well because I I didn't expect him to kind of address that uh, so quickly. And the idea that he addresses it because, you know, of his sense of entitlement, he's entitled, he feels he's entitled to the throne, blue privilege, if you want, you know, which is, you know, something that drives him on. And the fact that he's already self-aware enough to recognize that is, is interesting. But also his own weakness, his own fear. Yeah. That's the other thing that he, he reveals. Yeah. I agree with most of that. I would, I would only add that you don't know because he's low-key if he's really being self-aware or if he's really scheming, which is the interesting thing. I think when we're alone with him, yeah. The, for example, the scene where he's like, he's got the little time twisty thing and he's, and that's a really lovely idea, by the way, that, you know, that, that, that Marvel has enough uh, dollars in the archive bank now that they've got, you know, 23 movies, soon to be twenty nine probably by the end of this sentence mm-hmm. uh, now they've got TV shows as well you know they've got enough that uh, credit in that bank that they can dip back into it and use it as a storytelling device and they can mm. they can start weaving in and out of their own mythology which of course they did so brilliantly in, in Endgame and the idea of using you know, the footage from the actual films for him to fast forward through and have that character growth in, in seconds I thought was really really smart Really, really interesting, but also he's on his own at that yeah. point, and so I don't think he's deceiving anyone at that point. It's you know, but, but when he's with someone else, maybe yeah. That's that's the point I was going to because in that moment I agree with you. When he's on his own, yes, I I believe that. But when he's talking about, I think Helen was mentioning how he was being self-aware when he was talking to Mobius about why he does what he does. That I'm less sure of. I no, I I do believe that because I think. I think you can manipulate people by telling bits of the truth. I think it's actually a classic technique is to tell a partial truth or tell some truth that you think won't matter. Uh, and I think that's one of those times. I, I think even Loki. I want to believe him. I want to believe him. I'm just... No. <laughs> I totally believe him. I think because of what he goes through in that scene, I think Hiddleston is incredible in that sequence when he's, he's really looking. To, to have somebody, to take this character who is at the peak of their powers, at the peak of their kind of cocksure confidence and just show, uh, for, for him to see everything he's going to do, the consequences of all those actions, what's going to happen to him, it would fucking break you. Yeah. It was like, mm. I thought that was such a powerful, powerful construct within the episode, a way to dig into that character. And I, I just think that I can see how in this like, very short sequence you can take this character from A and go way past B to like D, E, F and <laughs> yeah. be, be like, yeah, they, they, he has changed a lot from that experience of, of just how harrowing it is to like see the things that he sees. It would, yeah. it would be, you wouldn't be able to take it in, I don't think. Yeah. I'm not, look, I'm, I'm not saying, and I, I never thought for a moment that he would suddenly stop scheming or become incredibly trustworthy or that this would mean he would somehow be a, 
you know, straightforward good guy for never forevermore. But I do think there's genuine emotion, genuine meaning in those scenes. And also, like, just from a storytelling point of view, it would be, I think, bad drama for there to be nothing there. Um, yeah, so, that's true. So that's why I trust it. Trust his rage. And one of the central questions <laughs> as well that, that drives the show, and it, and it drives, you know, I, I did the feature for this for Empire, and I spoke to Tom Hiddleston and Kevin Feige and Kate Heron and Michael Waldron and everybody. And one of the central questions that, that drives Kate Heron and Michael Waldron in and Hiddleston in particular is this idea of he is a bad guy. He is a villain. He even uses the word villain in this episode, but he's not all bad. You can't yeah. be all bad. And we've seen that. We've seen that in the MCU up to, you know, there's a reason why Frigga's death penetrates him in this, in, you know, it gets him right where it hurts. There's a reason why he is, he still, he loves his dad. He loves his brother. He loves his mother. You know, he is, he does have those emotions. Um, mm. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how this, this show explores that over the coming weeks. I think it's also interesting, you know, given that this is, you know, it's a Disney Plus show. So, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's that. There's going to be confines, I think, that come with that. There's going to be strictures that come with that. You know, I don't think that he's going to be going full villain and dropping, you know, a bus of nitroglycerin on a school anytime soon. But, you know, I, I do wonder how much, will, will he have freedom to be the bad guy? Will he have freedom to double cross Mobius? Will he have, you know, because that's what yeah. we, that's what we want Loki to see. We don't want to see yeah. him be a watered down version of himself, do we? We want to, we want to see the scheming and the tricks dream and the, the godding of the mischiefing. I think without getting in any way ahead of ourselves, I think you're already seeing in this episode him adjusting to a new environment and a new reality. You're already seeing him try to figure out what's going on so he can manipulate it. Uh, you yeah. know, even from one fight to the other with was it Hunter B fifteen, yeah. Remy Masako's character, she he goes from being completely just knocked over by her, literally, to to proving a formidable um, opponent. So he's always on the make. He's always looking out for the next opportunity. And I don't see that changing. He's still boy. That's he basically what he is. He's still boy. Yeah. Watching Loki adapt to his new circumstances, really, really great. He's a perfect guide uh, into the TVA as well, because, you know, prior to this show, you know, we've, the Loki that we've come to know, he's like, God, he's like either the smartest or the strongest guy in the room. And the way, I think the word he used in your review, Han, was discombobulated. I love that word. <laughs> yeah. Always makes you think of Sherlock. But, uh, but yeah, um, the way he's discombobulated for the, over the first of the few minutes of the show, as the status quo is set, not only with Loki himself, but with things like the Infinity Stones being made to the trinkets and paperweights in for the TVA, which don't work. Eugene Cordero, who is fantastic, is like, you, <laughs> he's so funny in this episode already. Um, he calls the Tesseract a blue box at one point, which just made me laugh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and he slags off a name. People were just picking it up and they were just picking yeah. up Infinity yeah. Stones. And you're wondering, you know, so the Avengers went through all that. Thanos went through all that. <laughs> and he could have just gone to the TVA, scooped his hand into a drawer, <laughs> and that would have been it. Which brings us, surely, to the greatest hand wave in history. Can we talk about that? <laughs> Why didn't you stop the Avengers when they time traveled? Because that was meant to happen. What? Since when? What? That's some retconning shit right there. The TVA would have been all over that nonsense. That is madness. 
Uh, not, not, not if everything's predetermined. If everything's predetermined and that was meant to happen, <sighs> then therefore they had to let it go. Let it okay, go. But let it go. The, here's where we get into the legal problems. Oh, if God, that's here meant we go. to happen, <laughs> if well, that's meant to happen, then so is Loki, pick, Loki picking up the Tesseract. He ain't done nothing wrong. He didn't time travel. He didn't know he was going to be a variant. He just saw an opportunity and took it. He wasn't like messing with any of their laws. Where is the culpability? Where is the mens rea? This is a crime of strict liability, apparently, which can get you killed. That is against human rights law, people. Come on. I don't, I don't understand any of that. But I said mens rea again. That's how you get Bucky off, isn't it? So to speak. Golly, I oh, mean, boy. so We're that's a very personal question. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. No, but genuinely, like, okay, guilty mind, you have to intend to commit a crime, generally speaking, to be guilty of a crime. Or at yes. least be reckless as to the possibility of something bad happening, right? That's a general rule of law. I did like them drawing attention to that, that, yeah, it's, it's the Avengers who time traveled and, and not him. Yeah. And they're okay, are they? Hmm. And that to me feels like part of the confidence, though, of them being able to draw attention to all this stuff and and to kind of make it part of the show and part of the kind of confusion of what he's facing and what this agency is and how it all works. It's going to be interesting to see how much the show gets into free will and predeterminism. They've touched on it a little bit, but there's much more to explore here. And I don't know, given how much is still left to do across you know, four hours of the ones across across the time that they've got that they've got left in the show. I don't know how much time they're going to have to really dig into it, but I'm very intrigued to see uh, what ideas and what um, sort of facts um, it has in terms of uh, how they go about that. If that makes any sense. I I think that's going to be the issue. I think that's going to be the whole Interesting. purpose and center of the show. Me too. I think it's going to be about yeah, free will and predetermination and mm. whether this sacred timeline run by these very mysterious timekeepers Space lizards. is is appropriate. Yeah, it, it seems and especially since we know that they object to nexuses and object to multiverses. Mm. That would seem to be something that's going to be important going forward. I mean, it seemed like this episode to me dropped in all sorts of little things that you go, ooh, okay, this feels like it's a thing. This feels like it's a thing. Because as you say, this whole idea of like, well, who are these people who get to decide what is the one timeline? That that sort of um, in the Miss Minutes animated mm-hmm. sequence where you, you see them sort of twisting mm-hmm. all of the different timelines into one central timeline, knowing that we have a multiverse about to happen. Mm. Uh, there was a mention of a multiversal war. And as soon as they said yeah. that, I'm like, well, is this what like the next saga mm-hmm. is? It's not just the multiverse. It's wars within the multiverse across different timelines and, and all these things. And it was just peppered through. It was just these little moments here and there, but that just really set your, 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 your Marvel pa- yeah. phase four yeah. radar pinging um, to a pretty major extent. I love the fact that Miss Minutes was voiced by Tara Strong as well, uh, who I'm a big fan of. She's voiced Harley Quinn in, in a lot of DC animated stuff. So I immediately recognized her tone, which is great. Yeah. And, and Raven and Teen Titans. Yes. So. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's going to be really important. Obviously, Nexus is also what they called Wanda. Yes, Nexus so. being... You know, it it it's looking like there's a big big collision collision happening between these guys and uh, it's all yeah, connected. Else. And let's not forget, of course, Michael Waldron, who's mm-hmm. the head writer on the show, is the co writer on Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness or at, at the Mountains of Madness. Which <laughs> hey, that is a crossover that you would watch, and better. you know it. Yeah, would watch in a heartbeat. 
Yeah, the predeterminism thing's really interesting. You know, you're you're absolutely right. You've you've blown my mind there. You're right, Loki. If everything's predetermined, then Loki was meant to pick up that tesseract. And if he didn't, if he wasn't meant to pick up that tesseract, then who is responsible for right? him picking up the tesseract? Mm. If everything is predetermined, it's really interesting because, like in the Loki Prime timeline, he eventually sort of breaks the cycle of. I think uh, Mobius puts it as you exist to help people sort of become the best versions of themselves and you exist for villainy and death. But in the Loki prime timeline, he eventually sort of broke out of that cycle and became, you know, redeemed. Um, it'd be interesting to see sort of how far along that journey he gets here, mm. um, given that he now knows how his life plays yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. And, and the whole predetermination thing is, is interesting on a number of levels, because yes, it goes to his legal culpability, which as I maintain is suspect at best. Helena Harris, space and time lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> She'll get you off in four dimensions. Golly. My words. Oh, hang on, be right back. I've just got to change my internet dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> but it also ties into Loki's whole thing in Avengers as well. He talks about, you know, you don't want freedom. Freedom is the scourge. You know, you want to be ruled. You don't want free will. You don't want choices. Mm. So again, you know, he would seem to be aligned with these, with the time vari variance authority in not believing that there are choices, in believing that there is only one way to do things and that that should be the way to do it. Their mistake is telling him that he's part of that, that he also doesn't have free will because he immediately abandons his entire philosophy and goes, well, fuck that. Um, and mm. you can see that, you know, he instantly has trouble with this idea of there only being one timeline and him being kind of just a pawn in it. He cannot, mm. his ego will not allow him to accept that, even after all the blows his ego takes in this episode. And that's oh my God, a yeah. fascinating, fascinating, you know, basis for drama between him and these new weirdos. It's 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 fascinating. It's it's one of my favorite things in the MCU is watching Loki have the rug pulled out from under him. Because he has he is such he is such a he's such a premium peacock. He has such a grand notion of himself. He sees him, he, he, you know, his <laughs> self-image is 50-foot statue, you know? And the reality is perhaps cracked figurine from Poundland. You know, there's, there's, mm. and that, and he's reminded of that constantly in this, you know, the, the, the wonderful encounters with, you know, the, the Brazil-esque bureaucracy in this. Every single encounter, whether it's like <laughs> lining up to get a ticket when there's only one other person in the room and having <laughs> to walk past all those little roped off areas, you know, down to the, we saw it in the trailer, but down to the sign here to note that this is everything you've ever said. Well, this is yeah. absurd, you know, and then he has to sign <laughs> it again. All that stuff was just absolutely so on the money and completely undercut Loki at every turn. And that's the sort of stuff, like Thor, I live for. I didn't think that that pile of paper was high enough. He's a thousand years old or more. <laughs> very true. It's a very good point. I'm assuming it's double printed and everything, but even so, I think it should be a few more 18 boxes. pages, front and back. <laughs> friend's reference. There you go. Do you? <laughs> you fell asleep. Anyway. I like that it got really existential from the off as well with his whole, do, do a lot of people not know that they're robots? What if I'm a robot? What if I walk through this machine? <laughs> there was genuine fear yeah. in his face for like, maybe the first time ever. Am I going to be disintegrated? Is this how it ends for the great Loki? Also, was the cat a flurkin? In my head it was. Just saying. I don't remember a cat. There's a cat in the, there was a in cat. the, in the pile of paper room. 
Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? They're not going to have cats in the TVA. Exactly. Uh, although they do have, you know, cans of soft drink and and stuff, and they they they're human esque. They're humanoid. They're humanistic. <laughs> Is that the right word? They're humanologists. Uh, they're, they're all these things, but they're not humans. And the idea of establishing the TVA, which is a hugely powerful organization, mm. you know, makes mm. S.H.I.E.L.D. look like S.W.O.R.D. And it's just, it's it's wild. Because you have Loki, who is a god, or at least he's told he's a god. He's you know, He and Thor are just aliens who happen to have powers. They may not actually be gods. That may be something that's explored in Thor Love and Thunder you know, with the Gore the God Butcher and, mm. and, and whatnot. But he's someone who's been told all his life he's a god and he's been told that he's, you know, he's, you know, you know to kind of paraphrase Nick Fury, that he's got real power. You know, so he's confronted with how small he truly is on the galactic scale of things with this mm. huge organization run by these faceless timekeepers who may or may not exist. Uh, if I were to put hand on heart mm-hmm. uh, right now, episode one, I'd say something's up with that. Mm-hmm. Something is well, deeply yeah. up with that. But uh, yeah, and that's, I, you know, that's nothing to do with episode two, folks. That's just my general feeling yeah. in episode one, that that's going to be one of the central mysteries that drives the show. Yeah, so he's, he's, he's finally shown how insignificant he truly is just because he could do some conjuring here and there. Yeah. Um, and that's really interesting. So just a blow to the ego, blow to the ego, blow to the ego. Yeah. I, I hope things do get weird with the TVA because one of my weirder surely (laughs) with the TVA because one of my few criticisms so far, I, I love Gugun Bartavor. I love Wumi Musaku and I don't think they they've been given enough uh, to do as of yet. And, you know, you've got these, uh, you know, time Lords who sort of govern time and the judges dictate the flow of time according to the timekeeper's dictations. But, who dictates the dictators? And if Gugu and Bart of War, if there's something a little bit off with that character, mm-hmm. I think it would be very, very interesting to see what that looks like. And uh, if there's anybody who sort of keeps her in check, maybe Owen Wilson's Mobius turns on her. And even Owen Wilson's Mobius, in regards to uh, Gugu and Bart of War's judge, we haven't seen much of uh, them yet, at least in episode one. Um, but their banter and their relationship is already fun. Yeah, uh, really and fun. I'm really intrigued, really interested to see what path that goes down. But my main point here is give Gugu and Bart of War more to do. I think that's Because I'm coming. such a big fan. Once I heard that she'd been cast, I've been like, great. And I really hope this isn't a one and done um, because she is too good to just use on one project, in my opinion. Mm. I, you know, I've said this before, but like, in my opinion, she should be a much bigger star than she is because uh, mm-hmm. I think she is that good. So fingers crossed yeah. for more Gugu going forward. My feeling, my feeling on that is that she's absolutely not signed on just to be Owen Wilson's banter pal. Yeah. But there's got to be more to this character, and and you know, in the comics, Ravona Renslayer is a not insignificant character, but you know, she has she has particular ties to Kang the Conqueror, mm. who, as we know, is way. a time spanning, time traveling bell end uh, <laughs> who is going to be the bad guy in Ant Man and the Wasp. The Return of Sunny Birch, or Quantumania, as Marvel foolishly insists upon calling it. Uh, whether or not Sunny Birch returns or not, I don't really care. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, Quantumania, he's going to be the bad guy in that. And there are suggestions from you know the, the same people who would have had Reed Richards show up riding Mephisto in, in WandaVision. There are suggestions that he might show up at some point in this, or he might have a relationship with Ravona Renslayer. 
we tend to put things in the line in episode one. When we're discussing episode one, we tend to lay out our th- our theories about where we think the show might ultimately go. And I think with her, if there is indeed more than meets the eye, uh, with the the time, what are they called <laughs> the time, time killers, the time keepers, the time masters. Yes, that's them. Time stoppers, time clockers, clock watchers, the clock masters, countdown champion, countdown conundrum, whatever the hell they're called. If there's more to meets the eye with them, if they don't even exist, for example, or they're an algorithm, or she finds out that everything she's been told is a lie, she, this person that we think is a goody two-shoes might spiral out of control, might want power, might get involved with Kang somehow, might become a significant threat. I don't know, just saying. But uh, that's where I would suspect maybe that's where she'll go, and that will give Gugu and Bata Raw something really good to play. Assuming she's not the timekeepers. What? Oh, Helen is coming in. Helen has entered the chat to blow your mind once again. <laughs> I'm generally intrigued to see who within the set of characters we've met so far really like deeply believes in the TVA stuff as well, because I get the sense that really Agent Mobius He's like he he th- yeah he's like this is this is just my job. I, I don't know if that's just because Owen Wilson is a very laid back casual dude, but he doesn't seem like he's very like di- dictatory about it, or that he's like this is what must happen. It feels like maybe some of the other people around them are, and I'm really interested to see if potentially then a part of this show is kind of wrestling control away from the TVA and from the Timekeepers, who is going to be like yeah that's fine, and who is going to kind of get pretty hardcore about it. Because if we're laying stuff down, I. I think a lot of us maybe thought going into WandaVision, like, this is the beginning of the multiverse. Whereas I actually think, I wouldn't have expected this, but I think it probably is Loki. That if it's about unraveling this sort of central timeline that the timekeepers have arbitrarily decided is theirs to decide what is in that and what is outside mm-hmm. of it. If if this show is about kind of confronting that, then maybe this is the show that gives us a proper way into the multiverse more so than than WandaVision. Yep, I agree. I think that's exactly what's happening. The only thing I'd slightly disagree on is I, I think Mobius is a, tr- is a true believer. He's a sincere believer. I don't think he's a zealot. I think mm-hmm. maybe that's a B15. But uh, he's. I think he's just Ooh. a quietly, maybe believer is the wrong word even, but like he just, he this is the way things are and this he's is, he deals man. with it. He's yeah, he's a, yeah he's, exactly. Yeah. That's the word. That's the way. Oh. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like the multiverse might get sort of explained in another way again in Doctor Strange mm. or in other films, but this is just such a smart way, you know, in terms of getting the exposition about the multiverse already sort of in the minds of MCU fans who want to check this out. It's just very, very smart to do that because you sense this fate, you sense in phase four, we're going to be getting into that in a big way and to get ahead of the game and to, inserted here but in a fun way because you got Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston as your delivery systems it's just really really smart yeah I, I just think something that I'm really impressed already with this show is that I kind of hate alternate universe stories like when you have a sci-fi show and it goes we're going off to this alternate dimension unless they do something big with it it, it your brain just switches off and you just go okay that means there's no consequences or like this is just a fun like oh let's just do this and this is going to be its own little pocket thing and then we go back to the main story and as mm-hmm. much as I was looking forward to this show, I kind of thought that that's what this was going to be. It's a, an alternate timeline Loki in an adventure that seems to take place outside and in and out of different bits of time in a way that could be playful and fun, but ultimately is just like, oh, this is something fun we could do with Loki. 
but I'm really, really impressed already with how it seems to be tying itself into the wider narrative of having consequences of making it really, really work on the character stuff. Like immediately the effect that we see on this version of Loki, even though he's not the Loki that we're particularly attached to, I think is amazing. And I can't wait to see what they do with this in terms of telling what is essentially a sort of alt-universe story, alt-character story, and actually really, really make it count for something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's what I keep thinking. I keep, I keep going, what is, and I keep, I'm going to use this word, what is the end game for this Loki, this Loki variant? Because mm. he can't return to his timeline. Not anymore. It's not like the Infinity Stones that Steve brings back. He can't just plop them back into the timeline at the point of departure. He can't do that. He's got, he's now... He's got foreknowledge of, of events, so he couldn't possibly act in the same way again. Unless that's part of the predeterminism thing. I, yeah, I don't really he, know. But he can somehow get back into the timeline after that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Where is he going to go? Is he, you know, is this something he's going to be railing against constantly? This idea that his future is, is set. But as James Cameron has told us, the future is not set. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all very, very confusing. I will say as well that we're talking about Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness, and quite rightly, but the first time we're going to see the multiverse in the MCU is Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. Allegedly. I did want to have a quick word uh, from a history nerd point of view um, about some of the places visited here by the ti- Minutemen, Time Cops. Aix-en-Provence in 1549, as far as I can tell, nothing happened. Nothing interesting happened. There was no great historical event there. It was just a town. They also go to Salina, Oklahoma in 1858. Again, as far as I can tell, nothing happened in Salina in 1858. It was the year before they discovered oil there, but it doesn't seem to be important. It is interesting to me and quite fun that they're not going for that usual kind of time travel show yeah. of, oh, look, here we are and here's Napoleon. The closest we've got to that is, is it turns out that Loki was D.B. Cooper. But that's just a kind of funny aside that doesn't link to anything, which I thought was great. Yeah, I actually, cool. uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Also, I liked that they threw away the D.B. Cooper yeah. thing so quickly. Mm-hmm. And in a yeah. flashback, it's something that's already happened. We just didn't <laughs> We just hadn't seen it before mm-hmm. on screen in the MCU because, you know, they put it in the trailer. But it's interesting because you know, when we saw that, we were going, oh, is this going to fit in? Is Loki going to be flitting through different <laughs> timelines, assuming different identities? Some kind of heist? And, Ooh. Yeah. Given the yeah. TVA, the slip, are we Loki? Nope. Not at all. TWA, the slip, maybe, but, but not, yeah. not, the T, not the TVA. Thank you for saving us weeks of theorizing. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, my friend. You've come to the wrong show. There are, there are many, many on weeks. That one thing. On that one, on that one, one thing, thing, yes. But what does it mean? But what does it mean? Is this uh, some sort of Mad Men tie-in? What's happening? Yeah, I really like that. Let's talk about Natalie Holt and her amazing music. Yes. Yes, theremins galore. So many theremins. <laughs> Just loved it. Yeah. The show, I don't think, has gone full weird yet, but the score is already sort of there. Mm. And I, I just love uh, the different ways um, she's scoring certain scenes. It's sometimes more dramatic, sometimes it's lighter. And more, almost all the time, it's just plain weird and odd and off in a way that just perfectly complements what you're seeing on screen. 
Uh, so yeah, I can't wait to hear more of that. It's I mean, really the whole great. look and sound of this show already, the way that they've designed the TVA is amazing. Weirdly, the thing that it reminded me of, which partly I think is also just the 70s, but that I never expected to think of when watching a Marvel thing, is Look Around You, the, the BBC comedy where it's like, it feels like it's channeled <laughs> the sort of uh, the 70s, mm-hmm. but if everything was a bit off um, kind of vibe of, of so that show. So the 70s. <laughs> We should mention that the production designer is Kazra Farahani. Mm. And uh, yeah, she does a really, really good job. The TVA HQ looks very drab um, in a way that perfectly suits the TVA and just plays off perfectly against sort of Loki, who is this like, you know, very flamboyant kind of dude to put him in this very drab place. Um, it's just immediately striking. But with those touches uh, as well, like the, the murals in the courtroom and, and things like that. And the, yeah. uh, some, of the, some of the detail is, is really, really lovely. I also love the kind of crazy sci-fi fifth element flying cars scene yeah. uh, just outside. <laughs> yeah. and, and yet it all feels enclosed and maybe, maybe in one space, you know, in one, could be one closed arena, which is, makes it, gives it a little claustrophobic, a little artificial feel, which I think is very much deliberate and very much something that they intend. I loved that shot. I loved that shot where Mobius and Loki were walking, just walking along uh, a balcony, and then Loki suddenly realises the scale of the world that he finds himself in. And that's a, that's a beautiful mm-hmm. shot. That's your money shot right there. Yeah. That's, 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 the, mm-hmm. that's another one where most TV showrunners are going, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> really? Come Marvel, on, man. Marvel, can you Seriously? spare a fiver? Please. <laughs> Please. I thought, it was, I thought it was terrific. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's a lot, you know, there's, there seems to be a lot of Fifth Element and Blade Runner during the of day, course, yeah, yeah. maybe, experiences and uh, And Chris Walsh and, you know, all those kind of yeah. uh, sci-fi covers of the 1960s and 70s. It's, it's very yeah. deliberate in, in its choices. And, uh, of course, we're all we're all thinking about Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Were you not thinking about that? I I certainly was. <laughs> What's interesting with that is that it's just how much Mobius takes for granted, and he's very much a company man. And I wonder if there might be there's there's something Truman showiness mm. about that about the fact that he's taking this this world for granted. Where are the TVA stations? When is the TVA stationed? Is it in the quantum realm somehow? Is that maybe mm, what Wai Kang is going to come into it? Ooh, that's an interesting idea. You know, is it stationed somehow outside time and space? Is that how someone like Thanos doesn't... Outside time and space, I can yeah. believe. In the quantum realm, I'm not too well, sure. May- I don't think so. I mean, if it was an enclosed kind of almost a ship, you know, that could, that could work. In A Tale of Time yeah. City, Time City is sort of moored outside of the thread of you know space time space yeah time. so so if, if space time is like a donut that it's kind of like the donut hole anywho oh my god we're back to knives <laughs> out uh, territory here but so, yeah but so if it's stationed outside time and space which in a way the quantum realm yeah. is right well or underneath so, maybe. You know, we don't we don't know whether scott was was insulated from the effects of the infinity gauntlet because of where he was that's kind of my theory on it. Maybe that he didn't, he wasn't snapped because he was in the quantum realm. And you maybe have to ask, you know, Thanos clicks his fingers, right? Thanos clicks his fingers. He says 50% of all life in, in the, the universe. universe. Scott wasn't Did in the, the TVA, universe. Was the TVA affected by that? Or are they outside um, the no, they're outside of the universe, I'm pretty sure. See, yeah. that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's so, I, I, so see, even someone who's a grunt in this system, like Casey, Eugene Cordero. Agent Pillboy. Is he more, yeah, Agent Pillboy, is he more powerful 
then Thanos. He, I mean, he's as he can pick up a you know Infinity Stone in his bare hands. Yeah, he's on a level. Well, then so could Loki by the end. So no, Loki's uh, you know, a god. Is it, he's a god, but you know, you still if you pick up an Infinity Stone, you'll still get that pulse of power. You'll still get that Highlander quickening yeah. thing going on, wouldn't you? Unless, of course. It's outside time and space, so therefore all the cosmic entities and all their powers are rendered void. Moot. Essentially, yeah, mm. yeah. It's a or you know, it's a moot point. It's a, like a cow's opinion. It's the second friend's reference. <laughs> I'm just trying to think back here. I think I've seen MCU characters pick up the Tesseract because the Tesseract is the thing that houses the Infinity Stone. It's when people actually try and hold the Infinity it's Stone. Gloves. It's pretty much always, they've been quite careful with it. It's pretty much always been gloves. You go back, yeah. look at the Red Skull, look at Tony. Anyone who picks it up with their hand is wearing gloves. Tony even deliberately okay. puts on a glove to handle it. Whereas Loki and, and Casey just pick, pick it up, the yeah. fucking thing up and they're like juggling it around. So that's, that's interesting. I hope that we get answers to this. You know, the fact as well that, you know, this is the, this episode alone was longer than I think anything that we've gotten Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm. Yeah, I think so, this is 54 minutes and episode two is 51. Yeah. So we actually are getting close to that six-hour movie thing that they talked about. I do think that's what credits yeah, though. The credits are a million, million minutes long, of course, yeah. in all of these. Yeah. I haven't done it yet, but the credit sequence, uh, as with all MCU credit sequences for the Disney Plus shows, uh, I, I want to pause and uh, investigate more detail mm. because I'm sure that there are some Easter eggs there. Uh, which yeah, I have not yet sure. uncovered. Um, the I did have a couple of other minor questions. So mm -hmm. Loki reckons that the Avengers are time traveling because he says you can smell the cologne from two Tony Starks. <laughs> now we know that at yeah. least one of them is only wearing Axe body spray, but we'll we'll allow him some in inexactitude in his definition of cologne. Were both <laughs> of them wearing Axe body spray? I mean. Wow, Tony. Jeez, I thought you'd moved on. <laughs> but that's a hell of a sort of deductive leap for Loki to make, I thought. I thought that was maybe him try just trying yeah. to look clever. That's that's a hand that's a hand wavy thing. It's a bit hand wavy, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um I feel like the time reset bombs are gonna give us headaches uh, over this whole show. I feel like how they work and why they work and what they do exactly is going to upset all of us. So I'd like to apologize to all listeners now as we try and figure that out. Um and uh, I for one I'm Devastated by the death of the kid whose father worked on the board of Goldman Sachs. I thought, what a loss to humanity that guy was. <laughs> yes. Two last things I want to talk about before we, we wrap this up. Uh, and they're both lucky centric, Hurrah. you'd be delighted to know. And first of all, I don't think we've talked enough about how, uh, how much of a good thing it is that Loki's getting his day in the sun. So good. Like, properly. Because mm. I think outside the main Avengers, he has probably logged more screen time than any other character in the MCU. He feels to me that he was there pretty much at the beginning with Thor. He was the first bad guy that the Avengers faced, both in the comics and in the movies as well. He is significant. He is huge. Hiddleston's great fun in this. And, you know, I was, I was, I was sad when his neck got snapped like a fucking twig by Thanos <laughs> in Infinity War. And, uh, you know, even though we, we've talked in the past about how we don't like to see deaths undone and, you know, Deaths can deaths probably should stick by and large in the MCU. I was glad to see that they they mm. brought him back and gave him an out. And the fact that it's it's a version of the Loki that we've seen before, but armed with enough new information to go in a completely different direction. 
means that you can't, you know, means it feels fresh and new. It means we're not second guessing him. Mm. So, uh, you know, more, more lucky is what I say. I have no idea where this is going to go. And I love that. But yeah, now with Loki in his previous MCU appearances, he's always been tied to something else more often than not Thor. And just him taking center stage is immediately interesting because now the focus truly is on him. And already across these two episodes, it feels like we've gotten more introspective with Loki than we have across six MCU movies. And there's still so much for him to explore and so, so many uh, avenues he can go down. Um, and I'm just, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to see how everything plays and out. As well as all of the character stuff, we also got to see him punched in the face in slow motion and see his mouth go, <laughs> which just absolutely <laughs> cracked me up. Thought that was so funny. It feels like they're already just coming up with like, what do we want to see? We want to see Loki get smacked in the <laughs> face because he's being a prick at this point in time. We want to see him being undercut. We want to give him these great lines of dialogue. There's that, um, they just give him so many good lines here. I really liked trust is for children and for dogs. His like mm. just sheer contempt <laughs> for people. It just feels like they're having so much fun playing with this character who they maybe thought they wouldn't get to play with again. And just, yeah, what can we do with them yeah. now? He is having a really bad day because it, this can't be like more than an hour after Hulk has thrashed him around. Yeah, he's got to have a big old yeah. headache, right? But unlike Ragnarok, this is not like an unmitigated series of humiliations. There's also moments where you can see him kind of regain his footing. I mean, you know, he, he's, he does act like a country rube when he first sees the outside of the TVA, but, you know, you can see him by the end of the episode beginning to get back on his feet. So it's not just going to be six hours of Loki being humiliated over and over again. I think no. he needed it in this mm. episode, no question. But I don't know that I need you know, the unrelenting humiliation we saw in, in Ragnarok. So uh, the last couple of things I wanted to talk about were, uh, besides how great Loki is and how we're all pleased to see more Loki, more Loki, everybody, is this other Loki. Mm. Ben, what do you think? I Okay, <laughs> as the only person on this who hasn't seen episode two, the fact that we didn't actually see under the hood of that, person at the end who is flaming all of the TVA agents immediately made me go, well, have we already been misdirected and it's not Loki? Combined with the fact I I, I already hate myself for bringing it up because it was just <laughs> something that came back every week on WandaVision and it was literally nothing. Oh god. But, but the devil window thing, the Mephisto thing, <laughs> like I feel like that's where the kind of Mephisto rumors began. Was there a shot of that window in the trailer and people wondered where the Mephisto was coming? I really like that sort of double layering of they go, oh, it, it was this this devil, that this is the kid in Provence who's like, oh yeah, this the devil gave me this chewing gum or whatever. And of course, Loki often has horns, so maybe that's just how he what he interpreted seeing Loki as. But uh, yeah, in terms of this person that we see at the end and that the person they're chasing is a Loki variant, the fact that we didn't see a face made me question whether that actually is the case. And especially because it feels like we can't really trust the TVA or the people behind the TVA. Also, why would you get, as much as he's the smartest guy in the room, why would you get Loki to help capture Loki. Ego. He wants to be the best Loki. Oh, Ego was in Guardians (laughs) too. (laughs) But it feels like the one person Loki will have respect for is Loki. So I don't know. But yeah, long story short, yeah, 
the fact that we didn't see that person's face, if if it is Loki, Loki, I feel like we would have seen a face at the end of this episode, and we didn't. I read in, uh, an interview excerpt where um, I think it was Kate Heron said that it's not Mephisto. It's just oh, it's of just course they'd say that. Of course she'd say that. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Just a bloke with a red face. Uh, but yeah, as, as, as people who listen to the Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, episodes will know, uh, you know, episode one, I pointed out very quickly that there appeared to be names missing on the credit roll at the end of the show. And again, there appeared to be, I'd, I count as something in a region of six, maybe even seven empty credit blocks uh, that could be used to house actors' names. So, you know, we know that there are people who have been cast in the show who've been announced, and I expect them to show up uh, over the next few weeks. I'm not going to name names, necessarily, but I think there are some surprises up the show's sleeve, a la Julia Louis-Dreyfus just rocking up out of nowhere in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think there are people who are going to be in the show that we don't even know about. Hopefully they do. I would absolutely love it. And... To be honest, the more I think of it, the more I'm, the more I'd be surprised if she doesn't turn up. But I think Rene Russo is going to come back as Frigga in some way, shape, or form, because she is the one of the few people who really gets Loki and really has that relationship with Loki that affects Loki. Like um, when she dies in uh, Thor: The Dark World, that really affects him, and even the little sort of snippet mm-hmm. that we see of her in episode one, it really affects Loki just seeing her again. And it would be really great to see her and expand on that relationship with Loki in some way. Um, especially just because we haven't seen much of Renee in the mm. MCU and any, every time she turns up, she's great. Even in that little scene in Endgame with Thor, yeah, she, she was, was great. Amazing. Um, it'd be really great to see more of that mother-son relationship. The, so, o- the only thing that might mitigate against that is the Endgame scene, because it might end up being a similar beat so that's the only thing that has me worried because otherwise I, I totally agree. I think that relationship is so important to him that it would make a lot of sense otherwise. On the Loki's parents front, maybe this is the case, but has he ever been referred to before as Loki Laufison instead of Loki Odinson? Because that is what he's referred to when he is entered into Very the true. TVA, that he, they have him down mm-hmm. as Loki Laufison. And I can imagine... As much as he's like all cocksure and doesn't give a shit about anything at the start of this episode, that must be really quite upsetting for him potentially to to not be recognised as 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 the Odinson as like part of that Asgardian um, heritage. Mm. I, that immediately jumped out to me. I don't think at this point he calls himself Odinson. It's only sort of you know the final act of his redemption in Endgame where he refers to himself uh, yeah. like that. He calls himself Loki of Asgard, yeah. and he announces himself as Loki of Asgard everywhere he goes. So I'm sure Loki Laufison, he was he would not be pleased by that. Um, it'd be interesting to see if we get more of that relationship because we haven't really gotten any of that at all. You know, Loki speaks to Laufi a couple of times in Thor, mm. and then kills him. But we don't really get any explanation of that at all. Um, so that'd be interesting too. But again, that's something he reconciles himself with by the end when he's. Well, he knows he's going to die at the hands of Thanos uh, on that ship yeah. in Infinity War. Pretty much, he's you know he's he's taken a hell mary pass. He's taken a swing at it, but he thinks he's going to die at that point. And he reclaims he claims both his Asgardian heritage 
and his Jotunheimian heritage. Is that a word? I don't know. Uh, all words are made up, as, as Thor said, of course. So it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Also, it seems to me that the TVA can see you for who you really are. So he may not think of himself yeah. as Loki Laufison, um, but he is. And also, uh, we haven't mentioned this, but his gender is fluid on that, on that form, mm. which is interesting. And the last thing I wanted to ask was, and maybe this pertains to it, I don't know. Um, apart from any other great cameos, you think? I think obviously Galactus is going to turn up at the end and uh, eat them all. And, ah! and, and yeah, you know, just go Galactus hungry, nom nom nom, and uh, you know he's going to fuck shit up as he should do because he's Galactus. Bow before him, you pig dogs. Uh, anyway, so oh, sorry guys, got carried away there. Uh, I want to be a herald. Is that so bad? Just turn me surfing. Is not great. But then I imagine that Norrin Rad wasn't a great surfer either until he was given the cosmic surfboard. Anywho, my point is, uh, WandaVision, both WandaVision and both Falcon and a Winter Soldier, you know, that, that criticism that someone sent in to us a couple of weeks ago with, with Falcon and a Winter Soldier in that you could essentially skip both of the shows and the status quo is essentially preserved. Yeah. Do you think that's, I think that's not going to be the case with this. I think the status quo no. is going to be really, really upset. And also both of those shows ended with their title character, Wanda uh, and Sam, of course, receiving mega upgrades. So Wanda becomes super powerful Scarlet Witch. Sam becomes Captain America. Do you, what, what form do you think Loki is going to take at the end of Loki? Is what I'm asking in my long-winded way. <laughs> Can I just say, I think they would love Countdown in the TVA. That fits their whole vibe completely. They absolutely would. I, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know, Chris. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, don't know. I want answers, Ben. Um, uh, maybe tell me if, if we're being told of Loki variants. Maybe maybe there's some other Loki variant who comes to the fore. Maybe it's <laughs> the sort of return of this Loki into the present place in the timeline. But again, as his character having been changed by all of the experiences, so even a different Loki than than the sort of slightly more heroic Loki of Infinity War. Maybe we just get a, a sort of different set of lived experiences with this Loki emerging back into the timeline having potentially unraveled the single timeline into a multiverse but i don't know chris we're one episode in i don't have the answers ben i'm just i'm just asking that's that's all i'm asking i would say i think loki is a good enough schema to come out of this series being even more powerful than he already is like given all the talk we're getting about nexus beings and everything like that I wouldn't put it past Loki to be on that power level once this series is over. But, you know, on another sort of point where you say in terms of cameos and stuff, I just want this series to get wild because when you're talking about time travel and multiverses and all that sort of stuff, you can take the show to really weird, wild places. And across both episodes so far, it hasn't done that yet. I sense that it's on the horizon but I just want it to really go there when it goes there. I'm going to go ahead and disagree with the first part of your point, Chris. I don't think this is necessarily 
going to be unmissable for the movies to make sense, you know, in that way. I think similarly to WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think this is going to give nuance and context and essentially serve as a sort of prequel to possibly several of the movies. But I mm-hmm. don't think you're going to have to have seen it to make sense of those. And I think you're still going to understand because people are co- familiar with the concept of a multiverse. So I mm-hmm. think that's, I think that's where we end up. I think, I think Loki does bring down or disable potentially the TVA and we end up with a multiverse allowing for a multiverse of madness um, and all the consequences and mess that flows from that. I think there is precedent in the comics for Loki re-emerging as kid loki that would if i were putting money on and i don't really bet i would probably say that's the most likely loki to come out of this because they're setting up or they seem to be setting up they seem to be setting up a young avengers yeah and i think you could do a lot with a kid loki but kid loki is a different entity am i am i right yes he's a different entity from loki and lady loki's a different entity these are not necessarily just Loki using different no. guises. They become entities in their own right. So you could still have Kid Loki and still have Tom Hiddleston. You could. Is what I'm saying. But Kid Loki in the comics, and obviously Marvel at best takes inspiration and doesn't necessarily slavishly follow the comics, generally speaking. So Loki first engineers Ragnarok and the destruction of Asgard and then thinks, wait, shit, maybe I shouldn't have done that and sacrifices himself to save a bunch of people. But he does so after having made deals with both Hela and Mephisto to ensure that he can basically be reincarnated and then one thing leads to another and he, he re- ends up reincarnated as Kid Loki. And I think, Amon, you can probably correct me, it was a different location where he ends up in a body that was intended for Lady Sif. Was that the explanation for Lady Loki? Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah. so they, they yeah. do have two completely different uh, sort of origins in that sense, but I think Kid Loki has had the most interesting path because he was meant to have, he was sort of intended by original Loki to have the chance to be a better person. And the question was whether he would follow the same mistakes. And I think that's interesting because that's a similar, I guess, path to the one he's following here, but it does offer them a lot of room to play. Well, I guess what's wrapped up in this discussion is whether we think this is Tom Hiddleston's last hurrah, Mm. or do we think that T. Hiddles is going to carry on and be Loki again, you know, may he show up, for example, in Doctor Strange at the Mountains of Madness, as I'm now going to call it forever. Uh, no, is he going to show up in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, a film which, of course, shot here in London, where Tom Hiddleston was? It's not beyond the realms of possibility. Uh, or is this his farewell tour, essentially? We'll find out. We're talking about, we're talking about a character and an actor who believed that his character was dead twice. Uh, so I am not saying anything definitive but, <laughs> on what the Thomas is Both times, both times wasn't his decision. He wasn't, he wasn't itching to get out. He wasn't saying, kill me off, guys. I want to do something else. I wonder if maybe he's now. He's not saying that now. You never know. He's been doing this for a decade. You know, he might see this as a swan song. He might see this as the, uh, the, the, the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake. He may... I, I, and again, I don't know that. I don't know this. I have no knowledge or or of what Tom Hiddleston is planning or or has planned or or is going to have planned. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying that there's a possibility. You know, mm-hmm. that these things naturally come to an end. Chris Evans eventually wanted to stop playing Steve Rogers. Robert Downey Jr. eventually wanted to stop playing 
uh, Tony Stark, despite all the rewards that come with that. Yes, I forgot his name for a second. Uh, (laughs) How? How? Yes, I was. A, how how the line blurs between those characters and also how quickly we forget. Eh? Isn't it how you quickly we forget? You the universe and you forgot his name. I know, honestly. I can't believe it. And I am the biggest Tony stan <laughs> of them are, all. It's this true. is ridiculous. It is absolutely true. But, uh, but, I mean, I feel like uh, Tom Hiddleston specifically coming back might depend a little bit on the outcome of Thor Love and Thunder as well. Is Chris Hemsworth mm. going to be part of the MCU going forward indefinitely? Or is that entire generation essentially going to step back? Uh, so, do you know mm. what I mean? Like, would Tom Hiddleston want to be in it if he was the, the oldest member of the cast by about 10 years, apart from Cumberbatch, <laughs> I guess? I, I don't know. I don't know if this is a genuine question. Ruffalo. Yeah, if Ruffalo's going to be around. Ruffalo, Paul yeah. Rudd, we know, is 85 years old. Getting younger by the day. I saw him. That's because he lives yeah. in the TVA. He does. It must be. It's the only possible explanation. Wow. Paul Rudd lives in the TVA. Wow. <laughs> wow. So yeah, I just I, I don't I don't know. This could be this could be Hiddleston's swan song, but then equally he might finish this enhanced and more powerful and more mischievous. Uh, that's a strange pronunciation of that word, but let's just move on. Uh than mm. ever before and he might he might barrel into something else. I don't think he's in Thor Love and Thunder. No, I thought no, he I don't might think so. pop up in that. No. But yeah. uh, my my understanding is he's been pretty much based here. Mm. He's shooting the Essex Serpent with with Cleo Bernard, and I don't think he's had any time in his schedule to hop over to Australia and do the all the quarantine yeah. that's required. Yeah. yeah, so I don't think he's in that. In terms of like substantial stuff, like having your own TV show or having sort of a chunky role in a movie or whatnot, I do think that we're going to see this generation take a big step back sooner rather than later. But given everything on the table now, from time travel to shape-shifting to multiverse to animated shows, there's just no... I would not be surprised if 5, 10, 15 years down the line, they want to scratch that itch and just have a little cameo or a little bit part here and there. So I will never sort of 100% fully say that all of these guys are gone for 100% good. I don't want them to be gone. No, I don't no. want to see Hiddleston. Yeah, me, me neither. I want I want him to carry on. He's so good in yeah. this role, and this is you know this you know he's finally getting a chance to to strut. So <laughs> yeah, this would be really really great if he can carry on beyond whatever happens uh, at the end of Loki. Uh, the last thing I'm going to say to wrap it up is uh, I watched this with my wife, the first episode, and she was uh, pointing out how funny it is that in this current day and age. This is a show that revolves around the pursuit of variants. And the second a new variant pops up, people oh, shit no. themselves oh, and, no. and, start, and start locking shit oh, down. Oh, that is unfortunate. So, I had not put yes. that together because I didn't want to. Yes. So, Lucky, a show delayed by the pandemic is absolutely about the pandemic. And on that cheerful oh, note... Oh, man, you've ruined everything. <laughs> wait, if, wait I, I'm getting the vaccine soon. Does that mean I can, I can still watch Loki after that, right? Oh, no. What? No, no, you no. have to wait. You have no. to wait three weeks. I'm sorry, you're going to have to sit down <gasps> the rest of these. Oh. I'm afraid that only gives you the uh, yeah. If you get vaccinated, you can only watch uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Ant Man and the Wasp, Thor: The Dark World, and Iron Man Two. Those are your only options open to you. I'm afraid that's the only Marvel stuff you can see. Honestly, everything else is just a blur. It's still worth it to be to be honest. I, 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 wow, get that's out. a fine night's no, entertainment. That's I a fine night's entertainment. <laughs> you wouldn't take that deal. I think the vaccine is worth it. <laughs> you mean I can't watch Thor coming to Wakanda ever again? Allow that. No, thank you. But you can watch Sonny Birch on a loop. Hell no. Oh, no, I'm no. busy that night. Oh, what a shame. <laughs> 
a controversial opinion on which to end because that is it for a uh, longer than I anticipated <laughs> episode. Uh, episode one, in fact, of our locally spoiler specials. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Join us next week, every Thursday, every Thursday. So the spoiler specials previously went up every Monday, uh, but that's because the episodes of the TV shows used to go up on Fridays, but now they're up on Wednesdays. So we'll be convening every Wednesday evening, recording the show, and then getting it up. Who are mm-hmm. first thing? on Thursday morning. And what could be more apt than putting up a Loki episode on Thor's day? So lovely. So lovely. (laughs) Anyway, as ever, thank you so much for subscribing. It really does mean a lot. And until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Keep it at low key since 2011. Amon Warman. Peace. It is goodbye from Ben. The King of Space. Ben Travis. That's me. Bye. That's me. That's me. Hey, everybody. King of Space. King of space. <laughs> Strong Kermit energy from Ben today. Hey, oh, hey everybody. That, King of Space here. That is hey, always wow. what I aspire to. <laughs> <laughs> it is goodbye from Big Metaphor Guy, Helen O'Hara. Yeah, I like it. It makes me sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> and it's goodbye from me, Mulin Quinn. Now, I said Quinn, because that's how you actually should end an interview with the noted actor Aidan Quinn. If he starts prattling on, all you do is you simply say, Silence, you mewling Quinn. And he gets the message. He just shuts right up. Which is what I'm going to do right now. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.